We'll turn now in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, where we'll read verses 1 through 11, but our sermon will be focused on 6 through 11. That's page 909 of your pew Bibles. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts uh, to not only hear your word, but also to receive it. And may it be for the good of our souls as we do wait for the Savior to return again in the same way in which he departed. Um, we, We believe he will come. So, Lord, help us uh, to, to wait well uh, and to receive your word until that time. Amen. Well, here in the book of Acts, we are continuing to hear the ongoing story of Christ's mission. Remember what we saw last week as we kick-started this book in Acts? Uh, we, we notice that this book is a sequel. It follows up on Luke and Luke's gospel. Uh, but this book, it's very important, friends. Isn't just some sequel that goes off the rails and it's not some spinoff that tells a different story. No, this is the continuing story of, uh, of Luke. It is the story of Jesus come to save his people and not only to save them, but to bring them all the way to victory and to work through his church. So that's what we saw right there in verse one. That that the book of Luke was about what Jesus began to do. And so the book of Acts must be what Jesus continues to do. And here is the story of Christ's mission. And I told you we'd be talking this week about how that mission actually grabs a hold of us as well. 
That's the main thing that you just can't miss from this passage. It's that Jesus' mission continues. And friends, you are called to join in Christ's great work. You're you're called to be part of his mission. You're called to be witnesses. Well, this all starts with, with a question. You see, his disciples have been pulled together. They're, they're gathered, and this is kind of the mission debriefing session, right? They're sitting with Jesus, and, and, every, and they're learning about what it looks like to be part of Christ's mission to the world. And the first thing that they want to know as they gear up for this mission is this. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, there is a lot going on in that question, isn't there? In fact, you'll, you'll hear different scholars debate over this question and how much of it is helpful and how much of it is completely unhelpful. And we know because Jesus offers this correction that at least part of it is unhelpful. What, what, what's, what's wrong about this question? Why is it not the thing to be asking during this debriefing session? Well, Their question, as Jesus points this out, their question has this big assumption looming all all over, and it's this, that the end has come and that Jesus is about to restore the kingdom to Israel and make all things new right then and there. And so their question is, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And that's what Jesus latches on to, he says, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. In other words, stop focusing on the time. If you do that, you're going to get way off. But as we're going to go on to see next week, the week after, they are not far off base to be asking about the restoration of the kingdom. In fact, we're going to go on to see in the next few sermons that actually what Jesus is doing is all about kickstarting that restoration of the kingdom. But what they're doing right now, asking about the times and is this, is this when you're going to bring it all to an end? It's off base. And here's why. It keeps them from thinking about the mission, the action, the work that Christ has called them to do. And so he gets them back on the grid, back, back on focus by, by pointing to three things about his mission. He focuses them on the mandate that he's giving them. He focuses them on the reach of that mission. And he focuses them on the power of that mission. None of this has to do with the timing of, of God restoring his kingdom. But all of it has to do with what you and I, along with the, joining the apostles, are called to do until Christ returns. So what is the mandate that Christ gives them? What's the, what is the mission? What's the plan? We see it right here. Verse 8. You will be my witnesses. That's the mission itself. That's our plan. That's Jesus' plan. You, all, you will be my witnesses. Now, we heard that. Twice, didn't we? In our Old Testament reading, in Isaiah 43, God said, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And what was this all about? It was all about being an eyewitness testimony to what God is doing in saving his people. Now, let me ask you, what is a, what is a witness? What does a witness do? 
And maybe the first thing you're, you're thinking of is a courtroom context, right? Where, where you've, got the, um, you've got different theories being thrown out there and a witness is brought in to testify to what they have seen with their own eyes. And not just to testify, but to speak a true testimony. The word has weight because they've experienced something. A witness is someone who can testify to the truth of what they've seen and heard. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. First, his apostles, and I'm going to argue us as well. Jesus says that our task while we're waiting for him to come back is to be witnesses because the world is watching and we must speak the truth and show the truth to a watching world. Simple, but, but very important to get. Now, let me, let me tell you what it means that, that we are witnesses of Christ. The first thing it means, friends, is this, that we have something to say. We have something to say. What is it that we have to say to, to the world as it listens? It's the good news of Jesus. We have a message that Jesus has given us that he wants us to share as we have opportunity to share it. You say, I know this, Pastor. I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing I've, I, I've heard my whole life um, in the church, but we can, grow, we can grow tired of hearing it. We need to rehearse what that message is. What is the gospel? How would you put it in words? If, uh, if you had an opportunity to speak to someone this week and they said, you know, I'm not sure about all this Christian stuff, uh, could you just tell me basically in your own word, what, what, what's this about? Would you be frozen? <laughs> I mean, or would you have words to speak? See, Jesus is saying there is a content to communicate. What is it? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. But first it starts with some bad news that we are worse than we thought we were. <laughs> you know, we, we, we are worse off than we ever imagined that we could be because we have rebelled against God. We've turned away from him. And because of the selfishness in our own hearts, we have this distance from God and cannot be in the presence of the one who has made us. But the good news is this, that, that God has sent his son on a rescue mission, a successful rescue mission, to save anyone who would turn to him and cry out for help. And what is that mission? Is that Jesus died the death that we deserve to die as rebels of God's kingdom. And he lived that perfect life that we failed to live so that calling upon him, we have salvation in his name. You can say it even more simply than that, right? God sent his son to save you. God saved his son to save sinners. It's as simple as that. That's the message. And the message... Uh, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ is what we are to speak, but uh, there's something else. Witnesses have something to say, but witnesses also have something to show. Because if you think about this, you know, who are the witnesses that are called in um, to a courtroom to testify to something? It's not just the people that have expert knowledge, not just people that can recite uh, can recite some, some, some well-constructed um, argument, but it's the people who have personally experienced something. And when the jury hears it, it rings with truth. So Jesus is saying, you are to, to speak my words, but you also are to show that you have been changed by me, that you have encountered the risen uh, Christ. 
Now that's true of the apostles, isn't it? They saw Jesus with their own eyes. They could come to people and people could, could say, these are the guys that were dejected, hiding out in an upper room out of fear of the Jews. And now they're marching through the streets willing to be killed for Jesus because they believe in him. That is a life-changing experience that they are just walking around showing the world. Now, if that's true of those eyewitnesses, isn't it true of us today? We have not seen the risen Lord Jesus with our eyes, but we have experienced him with our hearts. Yes, that's right. We know the evidence of the resurrection. We know uh, the truth. And, and, and we've been impacted by the Bible. You can't, we, we've walked away from scripture saying, wow, this, this story has changed me. And I believe it's true. Um, the inner reality of the gospel, what does it do? It doesn't just come to us and leave us unchanged, just, just tidy up our thoughts and give us a message. No, it, it totally shakes our life and um, convicts us of sin. And, it, and it, it leaves us with this, with this impression of all who would meet us that we are not the same person today that we were yesterday. And that's true, friends. If you've believed the Lord Jesus Christ recently, or if you've known him your whole life from when you were a child, people should know when they meet you that there's something different about you. There's a story about um, the great skeptic David Hume in, in the, the 19th century. Uh, David Hume did not believe the gospel. Um, he, he had many doubts. Uh, he, was, he was a naturalist that believed that what you saw is basically essentially all there is. Um, and David Hume, and, and uh, this British uh, skeptic, um, was on his way to hear George Whitfield, the great preacher, preaching. And his friend says, Wait, you're, you're on your way to hear George Whitfield? You're on the way to hear him preach the gospel? You don't believe that stuff, do you? And he said, no, I don't. But he does. He does. You see, see what he's saying? He's saying there's something. I, I, I don't believe the gospel yet. But there's something about this man in his preaching that just bears witness to the fact that he really believes it. Do you really believe the gospel? Maybe it's time to go back and look over those truths, look over that core message and say, yes, that, that, that is what I believe. If you don't believe yet, keep, keep listening, keep talking, keep, keep asking me and others questions. But the question here for those of us that have laid a hold of Christ as Savior and and profess to be his witnesses is this. Are you ready to speak for Jesus? Are you ready to testify to his work in your life? Uh, Because what God is leading you to expect here is that people are watching, the world is listening, and you're going to have opportunities to talk about him and to show others that you know him. And so you would do well to have a word for for Christ ready. You would do well to have ready something that you can say, even if it's as simple as this. Hey, look, I'm not going to have all the answers that you're looking for, but I do know this, that Christ has changed me. The Bible is worth listening to. First Peter 3.15 speaks of always being ready to, to uh, give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that's within us, right? 
Ephesians 6, you hear of the armor of God. And one of those pieces of the armor is the shoes of the readiness to share the gospel of peace. And so this isn't just for the apostles. It's for you, Christians, as well. And so I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to, when conversations naturally arise, to speak for Christ? That's that's maybe the first thing we need to do is start to pray that we would be and then to take steps to actually prepare to do so. But there's something more here, and it's this, that this mission uh, is, is simply that we would be witnesses for Christ, witnesses of salvation. But look at how far the mission's reach goes. To Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, think about what Jesus is saying. Put on your geography cap for a minute, right? Where are the apostles? Where are they? They're in this tiny corner of the Middle East in a, t- in a, in a city called Jerusalem. And what is Jesus doing as he talks about this mission? He's basically pointing a bunch of arrows outward from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. That's the region to the, to the, the south and the north of Jerusalem. And then he talks about the ends of the earth. What's he doing? He's widening it even further. It's as if you, you circle Jerusalem on a map and then you put, put um, arrows going outward in a hundred different directions. And Jesus is saying, that's how you be my witnesses. That's the direction that you witness. Outward from Jerusalem. Now, this is a totally different uh, way of thinking than the Jews were used to thinking. Because what what people were expecting is that the ends of the earth would come to worship God, that they would turn away from worshiping many gods and worship the true God. But the way they do that is they would come up to Jerusalem and they would all walk up the mountain and they they would bow down at the temple there. But what Jesus is saying is that in order for the nations to come up to Jerusalem, first the disciples and Christ go out to the nations. Here's another way to put it. Remember in the book of Luke, the direction that Jesus kept moving? Where? To Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. And we kind of got tired of hearing that. We're like, when's he going to get there? But all arrows pointed to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus had to accomplish the salvation that he was coming to do. He had to die and he had to rise again. But as soon as he rises again and ascends into heaven, what happens? Boom. All arrows go outward from Jerusalem. It's like uh, Jesus uh, goes up and the gospel bomb drops and the disciples go out in a hundred different directions and salvation starts exploding out to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem and Luke is like this gravitational pull that pulls you in and the ends of the earth, um, but then Jerusalem becomes this launching pad where where disciples go out. And what does it do as it goes out? It overcomes social obstacles. Jews that heard about the Samaritans, they would have thought, you're kidding me. We're going to go out and take, take a message to the Samaritans? That half-breed people? That's how they spoke about them in horrible ways. And they say, you expect us to go to the ends of the earth to people that speak other languages and overcome linguistic boundaries, geographical boundaries? And Jesus says, yeah, that's what the gospel is going to do. Okay. Now, what you have here, friends, is an outline for the book of Acts. Right here in verse 8. You will be my witnesses and you will take the gospel that you will bear witness in, in, Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, if you look at Acts chapters 1 through 7, Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. But then, in chapters 8 through 12, the gospel starts to break out into Judea and Samaria. And then you've got chapters 13, 13 through 28. What's happening? The gospel is going out to the ends of the earth, to Rome and beyond. You see what's happening? The book of Acts is actually showing how this verse in real history occurred. Nothing more obvious in Acts than this, that the spread of the gospel goes out. The gospel goes out. The gospel goes on. Now, friends, what I want you to see is that we are part of this. We are part of the outward expansion of the gospel, the reach of the mission um, to the ends of the earth. And we're part of that not only because we're, we're, we are Gentiles, that we're included, right, in that gracious promise. The promise was not naturally ours. The promise is ours because the apostles were witnesses. And, and, um, and somewhere at some point, uh, God let, used uh, our lives to cause us to believe. But I want you to see that this pattern of, of starting where the gospel is planted and expanding outward is actually the same pattern for us today. What are we called to do right here and now? We are called to start with gospel witness here in Dayton. That's like Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop there. It goes out to the regions beyond us. And then it goes out even further than that to the ends of the earth. The, the pattern for the apostles, it becomes the pattern for us today. And the whole idea is this, that we are responsible as a church, for bearing witness to Jesus in the eyes of our neighbors and our communities. How can we be silent? Even if we're persecuted, how can we keep our mouths shut? We, 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 when we have opportunity, we need to, to speak for Christ. But then it's more than that. How can we not support foreign missions and home missions in our denomination and, and beyond and in, in, in the broader church as the gospel goes out? How can we not support Connie and Charles Jackson in, in, in Uganda? How can we not support um, one of our beloved brothers in, in a country that I can't even mention because of the persecution? A country in Africa. They're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and so here, here's your, here is your weekly reminder to be prayerful in support of our missionaries and to, be and to be prayerfully engaged in the same mission that they're doing right here in Dayton. There's one other thing here. You know, we hear all this. Christ calls us to be witnesses um, and he calls us to do this to the ends of the earth. And then he goes up into the sky and he's removed from sight by this cloud. And what are the disciples wondering? It's, I mean... It, what are we left wondering? How am I supposed to do this, Jesus? You've given us an impossible mission. And then you've removed yourself right when we need you the most. We need your power to be able to do this. How can I speak the right words? How, how do I know what to say? How can I overcome um, the, you know, a stubborn reluctance of a heart to, to believe? How can I... Um, how do I know where to go? How do I, how do I know what to speak? 
What about my own weaknesses, my fear of man, my, my sin? Don't you all feel that? As soon as you're called to be a witness, you're like, Jesus, this feels impossible. Well, Jesus gives us this reassurance in verse 7. Verse 8, rather. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is God's gracious provision uh, for our witnessing. See, Jesus hasn't abandoned us. We learn this at the end of the book of Luke. He hasn't removed himself just when we need him the most. In fact, the Holy Spirit is his personal presence. It is God. It is, is a person of the Trinity, God himself. Come to be with us and to empower us for the mission of Jesus. You see, Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the church goes in all directions. That's how it works. Because why? The Holy Spirit is, is our permanent helper to enable us. Now think about this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, would come and rush upon people and indwell them. Um, only, it seems, at those times when they most um, were, were, were in desperate need of a task to accomplish. But in the New Testament... It seems like, like there is a shift. And now the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us forever. And there is this greater gift of God as he's not only giving his, his, um, his spirit for temporary times, but as a permanent helper, a permanent gift. And I want you to think of the power that the Holy Spirit gives. Think of Peter, who at the end of the book of Luke, what, denied Jesus three times? And then what? Just kind of hides out, waiting to see what's going on. And then compare that to what we're about to see in chapter 2, where Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and becomes this bold spokesman for the gospel. He's like this totally different guy. How does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to think of um, later in, in the book of Acts, we're going to hear of Lydia, this woman who, who is said uh, to hear the preaching of God's word, the preaching of ordinary men, and then what happens? It says, God opened her heart to believe. How? How can someone's heart be opened just from the preaching of mere mortal men? It's this. It is the work and the, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us to empower, to, to, to take an, um, an impossible mission and to make it possible through weak sinners like us. This is the spirit who indwells you. Now, I want you to hear this. Friends, what does this mean? It means you do not wait around like the disciples started to do. What did they do as Jesus went up? He's looking up in the sky. What's happening? When's he going to come back? What are we supposed to do? No. God sends angels to say, hey. He's gone, but he's coming back. What's the wake-up call for us? The same thing. We got work to do. Jesus isn't absent. He sent his Holy Spirit. And he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going, to, he's going to, to hold us responsible for what we did, for, for how we, we bore witness to him. And he is a kind and a gracious and a loving Savior. But he calls you now to be his witnesses. To Dayton and to the ends of the earth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father.
we pray that we would join Jesus in his mission. Lord, there are many missions that the world would put before us. You know, the, the mission to make the world a better place. The world, uh, the mission um, to try to be better people. But Lord, you give us a mission um, that actually encompasses all of this. But it's accomplished through your Savior and through your Spirit. Lord, this mission would be impossible in our own, in our own strength. But you have made it possible through your life-giving power and the gift of your spirit. So we ask, Lord, that you would direct us, teach us what to do, teach us what to say. Make us your witnesses. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.